And now, Thriller Thursdays on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Chapter 26 I don't know why it should surprise me that there are now high-rise buildings made for nothing but parking cars in, but it still does. I know of three of them, in fact, the one out behind the City Hall administration offices being the tallest of them. Seven stories of artificial road inside the building, with row after row of nearly identical cars parked by equally identical civil servants. The wave of the future. This kind of place is tough to get into if you aren't in the right car with the right pass to display to the little man in the peaked cap who sits at the entrance and works the barrier. Show him the correct piece of paper from your driver's side window and he will smile and admit you into the paradise of multi-level parking. Fail to do so and he will scowl and point you away as if you were an insect. Oddly enough, if you aren't in a car at all, you can just walk past him as if he wasn't there. No one else seemed to be doing it, but if you didn't come to park, you didn't compute to the little man. Blackjack and I strode past him and walked around the faceless gray mass of concrete until we found the plates that we were looking for. It was half past four. Hopefully Roger Mayfield would not decide to work late, but even if he did, Old Square Jaw and I seemed almost invisible to the pedestrians who entered from the covered walkway on the level above and searched for their own cars with the same bleary-eyed determination with which we had found Mayfield's. Between ten to five and quarter past, the floodgates opened and the parked cars up and down the seven levels sprang to life almost as one and settled into a nice, slow piece of gridlock, just like the one that waited for the drivers when they hit the city streets. And through it all, in the ever-building haze of exhaust fumes, Jack and I stood and waited, leaning against a pillar conspicuously. At least I felt conspicuous. Indeed, I felt ridiculous, the only humans in a sea of man-car hybrids trying to look like a pair of sightseers. I half expected to see a prowl car pull up for us at any moment, but none ever arrived. Perhaps we were less interesting than I believed, or perhaps the commuters could not be bothered to stop and raise an alarm about a pair of his and hers malingerers. In any event, by 5.33 the improbable building was quiet again. Jack and I were undisturbed, and Roger Mayfield was on his way down the ramp towards his car at last. It occurred to me in that moment that he had come to work on the day that his wife was found to have committed suicide. What a trooper. He walked quickly, but without fear. We would have to fix that. Mr. Mayfield, Jack called as he approached, and the Mr. notwithstanding, Mayfield's jump made it clear that he was not as unconscious of his plight as he seemed. When he realized who it was, he didn't seem to know if he ought to be relieved or annoyed. You again, he snapped. I thought I told you to stay away. Yes, sir, Jack said. You did say that. But it seemed impractical. I could have you arrested, Mayfield said. I could have you charged with harassment. You could, Jack said. But you would have to explain to the police and probably a judge why talking to you in a parking lot qualifies as harassment. I think they'd be very interested in that argument, don't you, Trixie? Very, I said, even more interested in the visual aids we could bring to the party. Mayfield seemed alarmed by this, but said nothing. He looked from me to Jack. That's right, Mayfield, Jack said. Jimmy Lish's final job. We could take it over if we wanted. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Nobody has to see them, Mayfield, Jack said. Nobody knows we've got them. But it's time for you to come clean about Big Al Rossetti. Mayfield looked like he had been struck. I don't know anyone by that name, he said. He doesn't know anyone by that name, Trixie, Jack said without looking at me. 
Isn't that adorable, I asked. He's playing tough. You two don't scare me, Mayfield said. You don't know a thing. We know a thing or two, Mayfield, I said, and what we don't know doesn't matter all that much. We don't know if Rosetti used Janet Timms to get close to you, or if she was your down payment, or if she was just supposed to keep you happy for a while. We don't know that. But we do know that you were doing the mattress dance with the retired property of one of the city's most notorious gang leaders. We also know that he is the man who stands to profit the most from rerouting the Long Branch Expressway through Riverton. Millions of dollars in government money, Mr. Mayfield, and you were the key to it all. You can make him legitimate at a stroke of a pen. We know that much. You don't know anything, Mayfield spat. This is innuendo. Slander. I'll sue the both of you. Oh dear, I said. He'll sue us, Jack. He'll have to dig up our corpses first, Jack said grimly. We're in the middle of this, Mayfield, and you put us here. You came to me when you found out about the pictures. You didn't go to your new best friend, Rosetti. You tried to clean it up on the quiet, like a smart guy. You bought my life for $30 a day, and if you didn't know that you were killing me in the process, then you're a bigger idiot than you'd have to be to think a girl like Janet Timms could ever get hot for you if she weren't ordered to. That's a lie, Mayfield howled like a wounded animal. Janet loved me. It wasn't her fault. You have no idea what she'd been through. Trapped between men like Rosetti and Lish. She did what she did, but she did it for us. Jack and I looked at each other. And how is that working out for you so far, Mr. Mayfield, I asked. You two have no idea, he said, no idea what these people are capable of. We have a pretty good idea, Jack said. This woman that you loved, that you still love, doesn't matter if she was selling you out, bleeding you white, or as innocent as the new driven snow, doesn't matter who's right, Mayfield, she's dead. Mayfield held a long suppressed sob from somewhere deep within. He held it in, but only just. Jack didn't stop. They put a bullet in her head, Mayfield, he said, and at this point it doesn't matter if they did it because she tried to blackmail Big Al Rosetti or if they just thought she might. It doesn't matter at all. It matters to me, Mayfield cried. It won't make her less dead, Jack said. Mayfield lost his battle with a sob, which burst forth in a sudden gasp and threatened to bring its brothers along. Jack kept right on pushing. She's dead because your new friends killed her. Do they deserve your loyalty? Mayfield's eyes were full of tears. He was on the ropes. They killed Jimmy Lish, I said, and his job was keeping quiet after he'd been paid. They killed him because he was a loose end, and they can't have any more loose ends. If you attract too much attention to yourself and blow the Riverton deal, the entire Rossetti family fortune is tied up in worthless real estate. They killed your wife, for Christ's sakes. Your wife, who trusted you. Whatever problems you had before Janet Timms made her entrance, you loved her once. They framed her and murdered her. Does that mean nothing to you? You don't understand, Mayfield was weeping now. Anne was furious. She said she'd go to the papers and go to the police. She just wanted to hurt me. And they protected you by hanging her, I said. Mayfield was trembling now, and he looked like he might vomit. What am I supposed to do, Mayfield said. I'm in too deep already. Not yet, Jack said. You're not in too deep as long as you're alive. They've gone a long way to try and shield you in this Mayfield. But once the final vote is taken and the expressway is headed up McGee and Jefferson, who's left that can hurt them? Do you really think they'll give you a chance? You're just trying to scare me, Mayfield said, pulling himself together. If you're not scared yet, Mayfield, you're too stupid to still be alive, Jack growled. There's only one way out of this that involves you still walking on this earth in a month. Come downtown with us and tell the police what you know. 
What do you care? Mayfield whimpered. Because we're in this up to our next Mayfield, Jack said. And you're the one that put us there. So, Mayfield said, why not just take the pictures to the police yourself? Why do you need me? Because that's what we do, Mr. Mayfield, I said. You'll never understand this, so I'll try it once and then forget it. We're private detectives. We act on someone's behalf. It isn't enough to save our own skins. We'll do it that way if we have to, but it isn't what we do. This is how we enter the story. This is how we see it through. Mayfield stared at me dumbly and looked to Jack. Don't look at me, Jack said. I never argue with her when she's right. Mr. Rossetti will protect me, Mayfield said with a shake of his head, backing away towards his car. He'll protect me, and he will reward me for my loyalty. Mayfield opened his door and jumped into the car, firing the starter as he did so. You'll see, he called as he pulled out quickly. It isn't me who's dead. It's the two of you. He stepped on the gas and peeled away down the endless turn that took him back to the street. What do we do, I asked. Go after him? Jack said nothing, but just stood and listened to Mayfield's engine racing down the levels. He's going too fast, Jack said quietly. An instant later, there was a loud crash, and Jack and I sped down the exit ramps on foot as quickly as we could. Mayfield's car had slammed into the wall between the second and ground floors. The frame was crumpled, and the windshield was smashed from the inside out. By the time we rounded the corner, black smoke was already pouring out, and the interior of the car was licked with bright red tongues of flame. A small crowd of six or seven passers-by, including the guard with the peaked cap, were all clustered around desperately searching for any sign of life and seeing none. We stood at the top of the ramp and got no closer. They cut his brakes, I offered. Yes, they did, Jack agreed. He probably panicked and stomped on the gas when they didn't work. Sounds crazy, but that's how it happens sometimes. Maybe, I shrugged. But they also rigged the car to burn. Look at that. There's no reason for the interior to burn first unless somebody meant for it to. Yeah, Jack agreed. Damn it. Think any of that will show up in the accident report, I asked? Jack shook his head. Despondent after the tragic suicide of his beloved wife, he said. Rossetti must figure it's a bigger risk leaving him breathing than to wait for the final vote. Think we can stop the vote, I asked? Jack shrugged. No, he said. Not without Mayfield. Rossetti probably owns enough votes on the city council to get it through as it is. You realize there are only two loose ends left, I said. Yeah, Jack said. Come on. We walked away as unobtrusively as we could, before the law arrived. We need a client, Jack said. What for, I asked. For what you said, Jack replied simply. That was the most sense you've ever made in my presence. Don't louse it up now. For Pete's sake, Jack, I said, couldn't we just focus on staying alive? Jack shook his head as we walked back toward my car. If the only thing I'm working for is to save my own neck, he said, I'm not at all sure that it's worth it. I thought about this and decided not to argue. This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the end of the week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of effus. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.